Hey true crime friends, I'm Danny and I'm Brenna and, and this is Lago Stories. Today's episode contains graphic information that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener's discretion is advised. Hey Brenna, welcome back. Hey Danny, happy May. Can you believe it's already May? Oh no, my gosh. I cannot believe it. But did you know what May was? Let me take a guess. Mental Health Month. That's right. Yeah, so today's episode is a little bit different than my previous cases as it's a little more well-known than the other ones I've done. But I felt with May being Mental Health Month, it was really appropriate for this case to kind of be brought to light. There's conversation about it for all three of the people I'll discuss today. And I think it's really important, especially this month and any other day of the year, to really have conversations with others and have open conversations with people about mental illness because it's so stigmatized and the Mm -hmm. only way we're going to get better is if we talk about it and make it okay. Absolutely. So this case is based on something we are both very interested in and like learning more about. I know when I mentioned I was doing this case, we talked about the series that was on Hulu, and oh my gosh, as I was doing my research and got deeper and deeper, the more and more I was shocked about everything that was going on here. Yeah, and you had told me that you were doing this case, and I had seen the Hulu series, and I really liked it. I also really like Patricia Arquette, if that gives (laughs) anything away about what this series is about. But I only really know like the bones of the story. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to hear the details. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the series was pretty shocking in general. So as I was doing this case, it kind of was one of those that was like, this can't, no, no, no. It just like every time I was like, I can't believe all of these things that are going on. So with that, let's jump into it. Today's episode is on Dee Dee and Gypsy Blanchard. Claudina, who I will refer to as Didi the remainder of this episode, was 24 when she met 18-year-old Rod Blanchard and had a beautiful, healthy baby girl named Gypsy Rose. The honeymoon phase quickly faded for the young couple and they ended up splitting, leaving Didi a nurse's aide alone with baby Gypsy to take care of and to take on the world together. Gypsy's father said that Gypsy was a healthy, happy baby and did not have any medical issues while he and Dee Dee were together. It was not long after Rod left that little Gypsy became ill. Dee Dee explained that the baby Gypsy struggled with sleeping and things began to escalate from there. By the age of eight, Gypsy would be crippled with claimed diagnoses such as leukemia, muscular dystrophy, vision and hearing impairments, and seizures. Gypsy would also be bound to a wheelchair, unable to walk, and had a feeding tube for medication and food as she was unable to eat normally. Rod was quoted in an ABC News article saying, I told Dee Dee she was the best mother. There's no way I could do what she was doing. You have a sick child. It's constantly 24-7 taking care of her and everything. I mean, I was always praising her and told her good job. Rod would make visits to Gypsy under the watchful eye of her doting mother, Dee Dee. I do want to mention that he did say he did feel like it was kind of weird that he was never left alone with Gypsy. But like he mentioned before, it's 24-hour taking care of a sick child. So he didn't take too much note of it. But he did think it was a little odd. And maybe he thought it was just their relationship that had soured. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you could take that with a lot. Like, they did split up. The relationship wasn't in the best place when they left. So it could be like she's not wanting her to be alone with him. She, now she has all these claimed illnesses. So there could be a lot going on there. Sure. If her medical issues weren't enough, Dee Dee and Gypsy were Hurricane Katrina survivors. Fleeing Louisiana, the native state of her mother Dee Dee, and off to safer pastures in Springfield, Missouri. This is where they would settle down and build a home built by Habitat for Humanity. Their little pink home would come with a ramp built just for Gypsy. It was a real-life dream come true for the pair, as they had previously lived paycheck to paycheck from welfare and donations from others. Gypsy would be the face of many nonprofits over the year. She would be the speaker at a gala, singing to the crowd, smiling with Mickey and Minnie at the happiest place on earth, and meet celebrities who would stop by her town. Oh, Brenna, by the way, one of those celebrities was Miranda Lambert. What? Yes, girl. Who even gave Gypsy $3,500 from her own personal checking account to help support her and all her medical needs. There is this one video clipping that is pretty much synonymous with this case. It is at a Relay for Life event where Gypsy was asked to speak and her mother looks at her after she finishes and says, quote, you're the reason I was born, to be your mom, end quote. And it's a really sweet moment looking at this video. It's a mother and a daughter one who is doting on her sick child and you can just see Gypsy get kind of choked up and emotional on what her mom is saying. It's it's a really sweet video. It would seem to any child that Gypsy lived a fairy tale life, but that life came with endless doctor visits, procedures, and medication. Gypsy would be quoted in that same ABC article I mentioned earlier, quote, other than her stuffed animals, her mom and her caregiver Dee Dee was her best and sometimes only friend, end quote. Gypsy was seen by over 150 different doctors. She had multiple gastrointestinal surgeries, eye surgeries, and even the removal of her salivary glands. With all this, it is safe to say that Gypsy was so desperate for some sort of normality in her life. That was when things started to shift in the Blanchard household. Gypsy would start seeking life outside the little pink house and the cold hospital rooms and build a relationship with the girl next door, Aaliyah Woods-Mincy. Gypsy's interest started to wander further than just becoming friends with the girl next door. Gypsy would seek Leah's advice on how to approach boys, like what it's like to kiss a boy and how to know if they're interested in you back. Aaliyah was quoted saying, quote, Gypsy just wanted to be a regular teen, end quote. This portion gave me a little throwback of when, you know, we didn't have the most normal childhood i mean we were spending eight to ten hours in a gym all girls like just young preteen girls so it just like learning this little part i like made me giggle because i felt like i could really relate to gypsy in that because we were so awkward with like getting to know boys and we didn't know what it was like because we were I mean, not deprived, we just had a very different upbringing than that. So it was just something that I felt like I could really relate. I mean, obviously, we were very healthy. We were training all the time in the best shape of our life. But it was just like the connection of like, how do you kiss a boy or... How do you know if they like them? I mean, up to really any boy. Yeah, like if a boy would say hi, I'd be like, oh my God, he's my boyfriend. Like so awkward. Yeah, and I feel like already in that age, you know, you're curious and you want to know, but especially if you're, I don't want to say we were isolated, but we were definitely 
yeah, like you said, it's not a normal life. And that's actually why I decided to quit gymnastics because I saw my siblings going to school and that, you know, they'd go to movies with boys or girls. And, you know, I wanted that. I wanted to know what that was like. Yeah, that taste for normality that she was searching for, we definitely all had been there. That we have a little group that we train together when we're young and still best friends now and it's just something that we look back and laugh at now. It was like, wow, we were so awkward. (laughs) (laughs) We had no idea what life was like outside of the gymnastics walls. Yeah. The start of their friendship did not go over well with Dee Dee. After finding out what the two girls had been communicating about, Dee Dee confronted Aaliyah, stating that they were talking about inappropriate things as Gypsy had a mind of a child and should not be worried about boys or any other teenage girl topics. Dee Dee would also take this to another level at home and damage Gypsy's laptop and cell phone so the two could no longer have their late night girl chats. Red flag. Uh, yes. As Gypsy got older, the control from her mother got stronger as well. If Gypsy displayed any behavior that Dee Dee did not like, she would withhold food or lock her up so she could not leave. By 2011, Dee Dee would become violent with Gypsy, hitting her with clothes hangers when the two got in arguments. Although Gypsy would never fight back, she did try to escape this life from her little pink house. Shortly after running away, her mother Dee Dee found her and brought her back once again up the ramp of their home and chained her to the bed and placed bells on all of the doors so that she would know every movement Gypsy made. She also kept others away from Gypsy and the house by telling them that she had slipped into an episode and was not doing well and needed time to recover. Okay, that is beyond red flags now we are moving into the child abuse um i do remember seeing that in the hulu series so i'm seeing that the hulu series is actually pretty accurate to the actual story yeah i i was actually kind of shocked after reading through this how many things were pretty accurate with the storyline like i was saying earlier i felt like a lot of the stuff in this story was like so dramatized that it couldn't be real in a sense Mm -hmm. but yeah I'm definitely it was it's child abuse red flags everything everywhere one after the other yeah Yeah. this control from Dee Dee only made Gypsy want to escape that much more Gypsy was able to get a hold of a laptop and create an online dating profile where she met her prince charming Nicholas Godajon Nick lived in Big Ben, Wisconsin, but that did not stop these two young lovers from a secret relationship online for over two and a half years. Gypsy would share messages about Nick to her neighbor Aaliyah on how romantic he was and the names they came up for their kids. Although Aaliyah was very supportive of their relationship, she didn't think that with everything Gypsy had going on in her life that Nick was much more than a fantasy than any sort of close reality. Agreed. Yeah, I would definitely follow along suit with that. Like, yeah, girl, that's great, but not really thinking anything was going to come from this. Yeah. The couple would meet for the first time in March of 2015. The two would dress up as Prince Charming and Cinderella to see a movie in Springfield with the ultimate goal of Gypsy's mother Dee Dee's approval for the two dating. But this harsh reality sank in quickly. Dee Dee did not approve of the two, but in fact forbid them from seeing each other. Dee Dee would call her daughter inappropriate names for even having interest in Nick. Gypsy was quoted saying she got jealous because I was spending a little too much attention on him and she had ordered me to stay away from him. Needless to say, it was a very long argument that lasted a couple weeks, end quote. Over the next two weeks, the two estranged lovebirds 
would plot a plan that would change both of their lives forever. Dee Dee and Gypsy shared a joint Facebook account. This is an outlet for them to update friends and family on Gypsy's progress, share their successes, and at times the harsh reality of Gypsy's condition. Everything seemed really normal until an unusual post came across their shared account. Alarm bells went off immediately for family friends Kim and David Blanchard, who regularly kept up to date with their account. As they read the status update, quote, that bitch is dead, end quote. Initially, they thought their account was hacked or something had happened until the second status update came through. And Brenna, will you read that status update for me? Quote, I slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so loud. LOL. End quote. As most people would be clearly panicked after reading a post like this from a loved one, they rushed over to Dee Dee and Gypsy's house to check on them, but no one answered, although their car was in the driveway. Kim then proceeded to call the police to do a wellness check immediately for her friend and her disabled daughter. It was at this point they found the body of 48-year-old Dee Dee Blanchard in the home with no sign of Gypsy Rose. This news placed the whole neighborhood on full alert. As they knew with all of Gypsy's medical issues without her medication or her wheelchair, it could be deadly for the teenage girl. The police wasted no time and started investigating right away. They started by tracking down those vulgar Facebook posts and found out where they originated, over 600 miles away in Big Ben, Wisconsin. This would later be named as the home of Nick Godajan, and the police would take both Gypsy and Nick into custody after a brief standoff with SWAT. Okay, so I want to go back because one, the quote that I read a little bit ago, I know the story, so I know that Gypsy wrote it, but what was her scheme here? She wanted to think that someone broke into the house, killed her mom, and like kidnapped her? So I'll get there in a little bit when I kind of go into how they were interrogated and both of their like questioning how they went down. But essentially she really just wanted someone to find her mom and because of all the guilt she was having and that was the best thing that she came up with was writing those facebook posts to drag interest into someone looking for her mom oh wow and then they find dd dead but do they already know a cause of death like clearly it was murder but how was she killed yeah so there was blood everywhere she was actually stabbed several times with a bunch of different cuts all over her body so that's essentially how she died was through the stabbing and I'm, I'll get a little bit more into there when I go to Nick's interrogation but yeah it was it was a mess okay the two were brought into separate interrogation rooms and the full story started to unravel now I watched most of Gypsy's questioning online and I want to admit it was it was quite unsettling and the fact that she seemed to not fully understand what was going on the majority of the questioning, she continuously told the officer she did not know anything and doesn't know what's going on. At one point, she asked how her mom died if she had a heart attack. And I was just like, so confused. And it was really odd to me as I watched this interview on some of her interjections with the officer. They just absolutely did not make any sense. 
in my opinion, it was like a child trying to get out of answering questions. Like, you know, a little kid when you're like, did you eat that candy bar? And they're like, what, what candy bar? What does it even look Mm -hmm. like? It was just so awkward. And I mean, I will say, I don't know if all the whole footage was released, but I mean, I did watch, I think it was like 30, 40 minutes of the questioning and the whole time it was like very cringy to me Mm -hmm. and it was just very bizarre. Towards the end, Gypsy admits that Nick did kill her mother, but she had nothing to do with it and did not think he was actually going to do it. She also admits about writing the Facebook post after having severe guilt and hoped by writing that that someone would find her mom, which again goes to the point of out of all of those scenarios you could come up with, why would you, one, write what you wrote but also think that that was going to trigger finding your mom. There's so many other things that you could have done. So it's just like the questioning. It just doesn't make sense. And it's very, very bizarre. I agree. Another thing I just want to leave out there, that although she admitted that she did not participate in the act of murder, there are several message exchanges on how she wanted to murder her mother as well as what she could do to help prepare Nick for everything that was going to happen for that final act, such as cutting duct tape to cover her mother's mouth, ways to get into the house that she wouldn't be detected, even down later I'll talk about this secret knock that they had, so that way Gypsy knew it was him and not her mother. So I just find it odd to me that she understands that he did the murder, but she's separating herself completely from it, that she had nothing to do with it, but there were so many active steps that she took that she really played a huge role in it that she's not admitting to. Well, yeah, and it seems like she's trying to do that on purpose, one, to, you know, not get in trouble, but also I feel like in her mind she does feel she doesn't have anything to do with it because she wasn't the one stabbing but even you know planning it that's that's a playing a part in the murder yeah and in nick's interrogation he openly admits that gypsy planned everything and she supplied him even down to the weapon as well as like how to walk into the house so it's like the final act couldn't have happened without those things lining up beforehand Mm -hmm. so i just find that bizarre that she's like yeah he did it but i have i had nothing to do with it it's like well You You definitely knew because you told him what to do. Yeah. So to give you a bit more background into Nick's life, him and Gypsy were cut from the same cloth in the sense that they both did not receive a quote-unquote normal social upbringing, which would result in a very skewed version of what normal social behavior looked like. You will be able to see clear evidence of this if you look up any of the messages that the two shared with each other. Honestly, after researching some of the messages they shared with each other, I didn't even want to put it in here because it just was so bizarre and quite frankly, like it made me very uncomfortable. So if you want to look into it, you can definitely go and look into kind of their exchanges, but it really kind of highlights where their two mindsets were at for that. It's also noted that Nick functioned at a 15 or 16 year old boy when in actuality he was 30 at the time of Dee Dee's murder. Wait, he was 30 years old? Yes. And how old is Gypsy right now? So it's, I'll get there as well because 
her age is a huge thing in this case because it's all over the place. Okay. Oh, I know what you mean. Okay. Mm -hmm. During Nick's interview, he quickly admits that he stabbed and murdered Dee Dee. He continues on how Dee Dee yelled for Gypsy three times, but she did not leave the bathroom that she locked herself in because she was frozen with fear. After the murder, Nick approaches the bathroom using the code that they came up with before the incident so Gypsy would know it was him. And I believe in his interview it was like a knock and two scratches or two knocks and three scratches or something like that, just so you kind of have an idea of what they're talking about. Before she leaves the bathroom, she shaves her legs and other areas. After she comes out of the bathroom, the two quickly clean up the house and make their way to Gypsy's room and have sex before they leave for Nick's house in Big Ben. And I do want to circle back to when they're cleaning the house. Nick even mentions in his interrogation video, and I watched the majority of his too or whatever was released, but he was saying that they were getting rid of items that connected Gypsy to Dee Dee to make it look like she like didn't live there or... It, again, it was what just they bizarre. shared a Facebook. Yeah, I mean, and she was disabled. Yeah, so like if you saw the home, it, the home was like in complete disarray, and there was just they were. I'll get more into this later too of just how the home looked. But after the murder, there was areas where there was still blood and still things, but they would. They took a picture frame with Dee Dee and her mom mm. in it to throw it away. So it's like, again, associating, like, why was that your thought process of what you were doing? Because that doesn't make sense. Yeah. I do have a question on, oh, Dee Dee yelled for Gypsy, mm-hmm. right? Because Dee Dee knew that Gypsy was home, obviously. So yes. she was crying And I, he does mention that she didn't know Dee Dee didn't know who was doing this to her and was oh. calling out to Gypsy for help. So she didn't know it was Nick that she had met at the movie theater. Exactly. Okay. So, and I don't know if she was calling out for help or calling out to warn her because she didn't know what was going on and just wanted her to like flee for her safety, mm-hmm. but that essentially she didn't come. And like he goes into detail in his interrogation of like, how many times he stabbed her, where he stabbed her, how many times she yelled, what she said afterwards. I mean, just kind of some, it, it was pretty intense. As the investigation continues, more and more questions come to light as well. As they started to search the little pink house that Dee Dee and Gypsy called home, the disorganization and clutter was unimaginable. And I know your house and my house were both meat freaks and I mean you honestly wouldn't know if we owned an animal or things like that were crazy clean and especially since COVID like I know I have been worse about like cleaning everything up so when I saw these photos like I I mean I think anyone in any state of their cleanliness would have been horrified it was just like she honestly was a hoarder there was there was one room that was so full of junk like, you could open the door and that was it. Like, you could not go in. Oh, you couldn't wow. go through it. It was crazy. Like, I was in I shock. mean, that kind of makes sense on the control aspect that she had over Gypsy, though. You know, she was mm-hmm. very controlling and a lot of hoarding is they don't want to get rid of it because... You know, that's their thing. That's yeah, they their... want to have control on what happens to it and yeah, getting rid of it. Yeah, what if you need it, it later? Yeah, yeah exactly. Kind of yeah, no, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. 
but there was one area of the house that was so organized it stood out right away to police and made them start questioning what was truly going on here. This area of the home was a medical closet where Dee Dee kept all of Gypsy's medication. When I saw this photo, I really can't describe it any other way than homemade pharmacy, and my mouth was wide open. There were hundreds of different medications in the closet, all labeled different things. And these labels were not from the hospital, but a range of titles like Sleepy Baby and Shaky Baby, oh as well as a farm script that Dee Dee had stole from the hospital to continue getting these medication. This alone had police start to look into Gypsy's medical history. This is where they were able to find a doctor who started to see the pattern of Gypsy's diagnosis did not line up exactly. One of her former neurologists, Dr. Bernardo Flasterstein, calls Dee Dee to inform her that the disorders that they thought their daughter had was wrong. Shocked at Dee Dee's reaction, she began yelling at the nurses saying that they would never come back here and that the doctor was a quack. He was quoted in a letter to Gypsy's primary care after her appointment stating, quote, I believe the mother suffers from Munchausen by proxy, end quote. Hey, and Bren, can you explain to everyone what Munchausen by proxy is? Yes, and I am not a medical professional, psychologist, or psychiatrist, but the way I understand it is Munchausen syndrome by proxy is when it's kind of like think of it as a hypochondriac but causing the illnesses on somebody who is dependent on that person so in this case she was giving her medication to make her sick so that Dee Dee could have the attention and the glorification that she was a caretaker of this poor innocent young disabled baby that caused her gratification yeah essentially it's either making someone sick or making people believe that someone is sick to receive attention from it so at the time dr flatterstein did not believe that he had enough to report anything to child protective services but another doctor would start to see what dr flatterstein was concerned about and actually reported dd Two case workers were reported going to their home, but after a search, they found nothing out of this ordinary. As the investigation continues on, the real picture of what happened to Gypsy starts to form. Stashed around the house were thousands of applications for grants and funds from nonprofits from all over for assistance for people with sick children. It was during this search that they found that Gypsy's birth certificate was forged as well. So that way she would be within the age limits of the applications that they were applying for. It was unveiled that Gypsy and her mother Dee Dee were a part of a much larger fraud. So I just want to go back to when the caseworker showed up and searched the house. Did Dee Dee not have this homemade pantry of medications at that time? Or how did they miss that? So I don't believe it was a very thorough search to start. But to kind of give you an idea, this was like a closet that you would think would be just like a linen closet or something like not in an area that you would like go and just randomly open the door. Mm. So with that, and I think with just what their initial search, they were like, oh, nothing looks way out of sorts. So we're not going to go and investigate even further. I see. 
As I watched the interview with Gypsy, it was hard to hear her talk about what she went through as a young child. Although she knew she could walk and that she did not need the wheelchair, she believed that she had multiple illnesses that kept her from being a normal girl. And you know, in her interview, she was talking about how she really did believe that she had leukemia, muscular dystrophy, eye and hearing defects. And it's just, it's very interesting that as a young child, what she was told, she really started to believe. And like as I was watching this, like she really honestly believed that all of these things were happening to her and it's just really unfortunate. Her mother would shave her head and tell her it needed to be done because it was going to fall out anyway and it would just be much easier for the two. And many other things that would trick her into believing what she was told. When Gypsy went to trial, the biggest shock to her friends and family was when she walked into the courtroom. Friends and family were quoted saying, we had never, ever, ever seen Gypsy not in the wheelchair, end quote. Oh, the years of lies had finally started to come to an end and the truth was out. Gypsy has actually never had anything medically wrong with her for her entire life, except an occasional lazy eye. During the trial, Gypsy ended up pleading guilty to second-degree murder, and in 2016, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison, where she is currently serving her time. Nick, on the other hand, was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and just to note, the death penalty was not pursued in his case. I just want to go back to the fact that Gypsy didn't have anything medically wrong with her, but all of those surgeries, medication. Yeah, the I was going to ask how how did that not cause especially giving her medication that she didn't need? How did that not cause an yeah. illness or some kind of like, I don't know, toxic level of something in her body? Yeah, so I'll touch on both things. So it was asked to Gypsy, like how did all of these things happen to you when there was nothing wrong? And Gypsy kind of explained it as her mother's southern charm kind of tricked the doctors and it was really noted in all of the medical records that mother spoke mother said mother Mm. felt and that gypsy never spoke in any of her doctor's appointments she was given a teddy bear told to be quiet and that her mom would just do all the talking for her which to me is very scary that surgeries can happen for something you never vocalize well and I also I mean I don't think they shouldn't take the mother's Mm one unnecessarily like like a mother would know right they're at home with the baby like that mother's intuition but also like I guess it just wasn't things that you could physically confirm with like an x-ray or something like that and you can't you can't even actually tell how much pain someone is in because pain can't be measured yeah for sure I think that's a really great point and I think this case just lined up perfectly for them they were Katrina survivors so all of their records had washed away in the hurricane and then as I mean if you saw photos of Gypsy now versus how she looked back then now you would never question that she didn't have those yeah but, but how she looked in a wheelchair it was intense yeah. and there's no way you can't sit here and say like okay something is clearly wrong because how she looks doesn't even look normal yeah and i think this case really brought 
Munchausen syndrome by proxy into kind of like the mainstream Mm -hmm. and in a somewhat good way also I mean it is a very complicated story but it's hard for people and even sometimes for me to look at this and hear about it and be like this woman is like the biggest fraudster you know Mm -hmm. like she is just pure evil the child abuse the fraud and you're like you're doing it for attention but I think we also have to look into more of the actual syndrome or you know disorder kind of more than the fraud right yeah and I mean it's funny that you touch on that is that like we're kind of seeing what this really is and kind of instead of jumping like oh my gosh she's crazy this something's wrong with this lady well yeah there is something wrong with her and gypsy does openly admit in interviews that she understood her mother was ill and that it kind of helped her process through some of these things because her mom is sick she wasn't doing it just to be malicious like she was sick and in turn like it was hurting her as well and I just feel like that's really hard to kind of understand unless that's fully explained like just putting off oh she's crazy like well no there's a lot more to unravel through this story before just marking a box of crazy absolutely and I mean it was pretty easy for her to fraud the entire medical system and you know even charitable organizations and I I think it's so easy for her to get away with it because it's not so well known also did you look into and see like how it's treated I don't really know much about like no I didn't really look too much into that portion as more of like gypsies association with her mother's behavior was Mm -hmm. more of kind of getting background I mean she's done a lot of interviews and she's kind of a face of this case so I was really more interested in kind of getting her understanding of what's going on which will kind of jump me to the next segment of the story since Gypsy was in prison she had been interviewed several times about her background and her thoughts on her time in prison It was these engagements that really got me wondering what her role was in the whole arrangement of her mother's murder and if prison was an appropriate solution for her. Gypsy will be eligible for parole in 2024, right before her 33rd birthday. So one of the things that really struck me during her interviews was she continually tells people that she's doing well. And I think that's great, but it's gets to the point that it's almost excessive of like every person. I don't know if they're just quoting that from other articles or if she's continuously saying that. But like I, I hope she really is. But I, it comes to the point where it's like you're making it such a point that is it are you okay? Yeah. And how are you doing okay with what happened to you in a system like prison? She also mentions that she has more freedom now than she did when she lived in her little pink home which to me is like you're in prison girl that's very sad Yeah, yeah it's very very sad and the question that seemed to be asked the most in almost every interview was if she was glad her mother was dead and gypsy seemingly gives the same answer to everyone she mentions that she is happy that she's out of her situation but not by the means that she got there And she does continuously tell people that she does have a severe remorse for her mother's death and kind of wished that the actions that transpired didn't happen. But she'll then turn around and say things 
like she didn't deserve as much time as she got because she wasn't the one that did the murder Mm. and Nick was. And to me, the disassociation of her role in that, I don't know if prison is appropriate for you because if you can't admit to your role and what you did and you don't even feel like you... I mean, she got only 10 years for Mm -hmm. really playing a a key role in here. And I know there was a lot of other extenuating circumstances that got them to that process, but just thinking like you didn't need any time. And I mean, granted, she may have meant something else, but kind of how I took it was I don't deserve this time and Nick deserves to be in jail because I didn't kill her. And she even says something like, there are, she's quoted saying, there's a big difference between someone who asks somebody to kill someone and that somebody who actually does it. Or because I would never kill someone. I would never physically go through killing someone. I can't. And to me, it's, I don't, I don't yeah. understand how you can separate. Like, I would never ask someone to go kill somebody yeah you know what it I mean would, it's just hard I know they're two completely separate things but the feeling that I would think about like okay I'm gonna hire somebody or I'm gonna ask somebody to kill someone for me let alone like my own family member you would think that would make you have the same reaction the same feeling but I can also see how how she was raised and everything that may not have provided her with the best education because she was homeschooled Mm -hmm. correct right so there's definitely some like missing links for me but I yeah it's hard for me to say she is a victim for sure but it's hard for me to say if she should get less time or more time you know what I mean yeah to me I don't feel like she has taken full responsibility of her role in the events that transpired but again like you said it's hard to say where she would be at if she was raised normally. Yeah, like if it is yeah. she the product of her environment or if she would have done the same thing either yes, way. Yes, for sure. Another question that I was really shocked that the interviewer asked her, and I kind of was taken aback too when she asked, and she was like, how come you never stood up? And I was like, oh, wow, she went there. Because <laughs> <laughs> when she was at home, Gypsy wouldn't use her wheelchair. Like, as long as they were in the privacy of their oh, own home. and then her mom would carry her? Mm-hmm. Like, if they were in front of other people, always had the wheelchair, or she was carried, or it like, seems that she did not and could not walk. Mm-hmm. But at home, she would walk around, and she was just like, didn't you ever think oh. this fraud could end if you ever stood up at one of the gala events or somebody would ask a question of why you just stood up and walked down the street? Mm-hmm. And she was like, I was just so obedient to what was going on and just doing what I was told. I never thought anything else was different. Mm, yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah. At the end of the day, Gypsy was a victim, but she still committed a crime. This is why I do not know if prison was an appropriate sentence for her. I feel like her time could have been better served in a mental health facility or something that could kind of... I mean, essentially, she's going to have to relearn everything she learned in her life. Yeah. From a very young age, she was manipulated and kind of her views were very perverted on what her mom was pushing on her. And I just don't feel like you can really grasp a full understanding of what's going on in prison And granted, she may be taking classes or doing things like that, but I just feel like 
her background played a very vital role in the actions that were committed and it you can't push that aside for what happened well and I think this is where (laughs) we come full circle because and I I haven't done in-depth research but it seems that mental health facilities are way 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 underfunded Mm -hmm. like the automatic thing is prison 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 and that ties into a whole nother criminal justice girl don't even get me started (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm just saying like it's unfortunate because there is still a lot of stigma. I think we're getting a little bit better, but mm-hmm. there's still a lot to go. I think we need to remove the stigma from mental health. I mean, especially we're all human. Yeah. We're, we're all going to have our issues. And with severe cases like this, there needs to be a better place for people to go than just lock them away and forget about it we'll we'll come to it when they are released Mm -hmm. if they are released yeah for sure and that's why I'm really hesitant for when she is released in 2024 because I feel like although 10 years is a good realistically that's a large portion of time it's not like a blink in an eye but were those 10 years productive on what you were doing or were you just locked up and then when you get out like this world is crazy, girl. Like, in the last year and a half, things have changed continuously, almost day by day. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very hard adjustment. I mean, everybody needs some sort of therapy, whether that's talking things out with their friends or going to see a counselor or just having an open conversation with people. Everyone who lives a day-to-day life needs that. And, I mean, for sure, after this experience, you're going to need some counseling of some sort for sure i agree yeah so i did want to update you a little bit on where gypsy's at now she is engaged with plans to marry her pen pal sweetheart ken when she is released from prison her stepmother and father say she's doing very well and then she has a job while in prison so with that said i hope this very complicated case has a not so complicated ending after all i hope so too yeah We'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. Leave us a comment or review. If you have a case suggestion, reach out through our website, lawghoststories.net. You can check out all of our source materials for this episode in our description box below. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at lawghoststories. We will be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe out there. It's a weird world. Thank you to Alexander Nakarada for allowing us to use his sound, Nightmare, for our theme music.